0: This is Risk Reward, the place where the next generation of insurance professionals are inspired and found. I'm your host, Darren Bloomfield, a senior risk management and insurance student at Belt University, where I'm also the president of our Gamma Iota Sigma chapter. Our guests for this episode are producers at Gregory Appel, an independent insurance agency in Indianapolis that has been serving the community since the 1880s. The company is now on the fifth generation of the Appel family. Welcome, gentlemen let's start by introducing yourselves and a brief description of your specialty.
1: My name is Tyson Vaughn, Vice President of Property and Casualty at Gregory Napal. Uh, my specialties include manufacturing, not for profits entertainment services, as well as uh, our specialty book of uh, ski and resorts. So uh, quite a diverse background.
2: I'm Reed Putnam, uh, also a Vice President here at Gregory Napal. I'm co-leader of our healthcare and medical services, industry practice, Uh, I do a lot of technology and life science business, and I am our cyber insurance subject matter expert.
3: And I'm Brad Dumbald. I'm a senior vice president for GreenPell. I predominantly spend my time in alternative risk, which is captives and and, uh, things of that nature.
0: Definitely a diverse group of backgrounds. I'm sure you all complement each other really well. What are some of, like the main micro and macro uh, economic factors impacting your your typical insured, and how do you use insurance to help transfer this risk?
2: <laughs> That's a big question, Darren. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we'll 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 each try to take a stab at it. But you know, I think um, you know uh, what's the old line? It's the economy, stupid. That's probably before your time. You're too young for that, I, I imagine. But uh, you know. Insurance and at its core, risk management are intended to be systems that allow you to enable strategic and operational growth. So insurance transfers that risk, you know, obviously with mitigation and avoidance uh, management techniques, you can control the risk to a certain extent. So when we're talking to our clients in each of our respective industry specializations, we're often having conversations about, you know, what does the economy look like? What does hiring applicable candidate pool look like? What are the regulatory challenges within your environment that are affecting those business decisions? And how do some of those macroeconomic factors then inform and affect how how we manage risk and then how we ultimately you know, manage it? Off their balance sheets onto an insurance policy.
0: Yeah, we definitely covered a covered a lot there in terms to like the economy uh, ups and downs. Obviously, like how do you handle those conversations when the insured has to you know reduce their expenses and wants to lower some of their limits or kind of take on more uh, more retention of of uh, not not insuring that.
1: You know, I think I had some unique experience. I think we all did. I have a a very small cadre of clients who are in the entertainment services business. And so over the last 18 months, they were faced with some significant uh, economic headwinds, including like basically being stale in the water. There's the doldrums. They had no business, uh, no revenue coming in. And so we had to have some frank conversations about what are the risks now that they are facing and balance that very, very carefully with their ability to transfer that risk to an insurance policy. They still had a significant amount of assets that um, they they would send out on the road. So there's that challenge of of saying, you know, you don't have operational exposure, but you still have an asset exposure. And how do we go through that process of best managing it, best insuring it, but also reducing their costs because they they literally had no revenue coming in. And so that's that's a you know that's a fairly easy conversation to have because you're you're doing the very best you can to try and help them protect what they have by way of an asset. But at the same time, you know, they they really have to to, to budget uh, on a going forward basis. So I think there's a lot of that conversation going on with the economic headwinds that we have of where do you, where do you draw that line and and trying to understand uh, your customers and the insureds appetite for risk and what their, their needs are at that point in time. Yeah.
2: I mean, Brad wouldn't you say that within the alternative risk model that gives uh, a buyer for whom that model fits a lot more control and stability over that process
3: Yeah there's no question when you know I, I just had a new new CFO of an organization that's a client so former CFO leaves new CFO comes in and is kind of trying to retrace the steps of the old CFO and Thinking through the decision making process um, and you can see the lights go on, you know, when you own your own insurance company, it is an entirely different value prop uh, than than traditional insurance. So I think there's a there are a myriad of ways we have to to kind of answer the question, I guess, if you will.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, on on like the the captive side of that. You just mentioned uh, kind of running your own insurance company, uh, keeping it like in house. How do you gauge the, the client's appetite for risk with that? And even like the sophistication of the buyer, you just mentioned, you know, one CFO to another CFO, that's kind of higher uh, sophistication of, of buyers. How would that process kind of look like with, uh, you know, someone who's not in tune that as in tune to finance and, and insurance?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it. for someone who's not in tune to finance insurance, it's a really tough conversation. Typically the folks that we're dealing with are very into, you know, if it's the business owner, the business owner knows how their business functions. Uh, if it's the CFO, obviously that's their job. So I, I can't envision it having that conversation with someone who doesn't understand the insurance mechanism and in the, and the financials of the company. Um, and I don't think any of the three of us would ever make a recommendation to someone that, that doesn't have those, that understanding of, you know, where they need to be. Um, it, at least with regard to the, the alternative risk space, the educational part of the transaction, you know, it, t- it may take two or three years to build up to the point where they're ready to, to do some kind of, to buy into some kind of alternative risk program. The education is incredibly important.
0: Yeah. So some insurers are just, uh, you know, price-sensitive buyers that really just want, you know, coverage for a contract or like bare minimum limits. How do you tell you know the service that the insured wants from you, or would you kind of look out, uh, like search out uh, some some clients that want you know that more of the relationship business versus like that sales guy you know coming in 36 days out from a renewal?
2: I think that's um, part and parcel of one of your early discovery conversations with a prospective client. And I think not only are, are we striving to learn about about their businesses and their risk and their risk management program, but also, you know, what is the nature of their, their philosophy towards risk and what is their buying dynamic? You know, are they a transactional buyer uh, and they treat insurance like a commodity? Are they a relationship buyer who, you know, might want to be, you know, um, let's just use the phrase wined and dined a little bit, right? Then you have the the role, and I think all three of us, you know, and probably a hallmark of our firm is the the role of the trusted advisor. So you know, where we're not, we're not, we don't necessarily view ourselves as salespeople, but that's an aspect of what we do. But a consultative consultative advisor, you know, at the end of the day, how can we make our client? And educated insurance decision maker, right? How do we put the resources and tools around them that allow them to make the best decision for themselves or for their company with the most information available?
0: Yeah, like makes, makes a lot of sense. So just giving that advice and offering the, the best suggestions to your clients, and then making sure that they can make a you know informed decision. And then I mean, you mentioned like the professional kind of advising team, like of the businesses. Obviously, the insurance agent is on that team, along with you know the accountants, lawyers, and and bankers. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell me of, of like a time where you like made a recommendation for a certain limit or certain coverage, and then uh, the client decided to go a different way?
2: <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll I'll tell this really quickly, and then I'll move on. Um, I had a client who was on a a large deductible workers comp program a year ago. The, their losses have really reared up and bit them. And so, given their size at the time, we presented an option on a guaranteed cost program. And for one reason or another, they chose to go with the guaranteed cost program against my advice and then turned in the best loss year that they've had in a decade <laughs> and ended up paying considerably more on a guaranteed cost program than they would have paid out of pocket on their claims plus their fixed costs. Oh, and by the way, they've grown significantly over the course of the last year due to the the growth in their industry. And so now their guaranteed cost program has functionally doubled, even though they've got a, a better overall loss picture on On the current year now, current year is not trended, not developed, still very green, but you know that's a client who went in one direction because they they viewed it from one perspective and made a decision according to that
0: yeah that that sounds very expensive, so how would you you know maintain that relationship? I mean, you mentioned earlier like the buying philosophy like of the client, obviously in this case, you gave a strong you know suggestion. And then, all, you know, a claim came in, because they went a different way. Like, how do you kind of maintain this relationship for the next renewal or kind of learn and grow from, from that experience?
2: You know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's our job to be of service. If you're going to play the role of the trusted advisor, at the end of the day, your job is to be of service. So it's to continue to provide the resources and the tools And the the concierge service that that continues to allow them to make the best decisions. And if we're of service um, at the end of the day, then I think that relationship will survive if it's meant to survive.
0: And from that service standpoint, how do you recommend a young producer, you know, someone a little inexperienced coming to the industry, like builds credibility mm-hmm. with with their clients, so that they can prove that they have understanding of the product of insurance and how it applies to specific mm-hmm. uh, aspects of of the business that they're approaching. Like, how would you recommend that they create that that sense of them being like the trust advisor? Tyson, you want to take this one?
1: Sure. You know, I think the um, the piece of advice that I I think too often goes goes ignored is the ability to say. I don't know the answer, but I'm willing to put in the work and the research and do my homework to come back to you with with what is a valid and well thought out piece of advice. And I think we often think we need to know that answer, whether it's a policy form or a a, a quick response. And, and, and over time, that experience does lend itself to being able to say, I know this because of my experience. But I think a, a young person needs to be comfortable, especially in this industry. Being aware of that ignorance and being okay with it, but also being willing to fill that that answer for a client and be willing to go to the, the mat and say, I've done my research, I've talked to other people, I've talked to other producers, I've talked to other industry specialists, I've done the, done that homework. And based on, on what I'm aware of, this is the best information I can provide you and the advice that I would give you. And I think that goes a long way to the buyer saying, this is a person I can rely on.
2: Early on in my career as an insurance broker, one of my mentors you know explained to me that you know there's a, there's more than one way to sell insurance right um, and you know understanding your client is is probably key to that, but I would really encourage a young insurance professional to be a student of the craft, and I have seen way too many Insurance agents, insurance brokers hired for sales acumen. Their organizations believe that they'll get around to teaching the insurance, and they never quite do. And eventually, that person hits a ceiling where they're now trying to to serve someone who's been buying insurance longer than they've been in the business and may not be the expert at the table. And so, there is a tendency if you've not put the homework in that you can really you can really kind of hit a ceiling. And so, you know, understanding the coverage, understanding how underwriting works and things, understanding how audits are processed, understanding what a claim feels like. Um, you know, being able to talk through the more esoteric aspects of coverage. I think those are really really key and important things that too often go go underserved.
3: You know, the one thing I would add too, Darren, is that you know when you're young and new in the business, you don't have your own set of stories to tell, right? So um, the thing that I encourage the the younger producers in our office is, you know, spend a lot of time with your colleagues, listen to what they're going through with their clients, learn from their experiences take those stories that are theirs and, and make them your own. And you know you don't attribute it to as having happened to you, but you know the example is, hey, I just had this happen to a colleague in my office and here's how they solve the problem, that kind of a thing. So I think the more that someone who's young in the business just listens to what's going on around them and, and develops that set of stories um, and attributes them properly, of course, uh, that's a good way to establish some credibility with with a the, with the client uh, early on in the relationship.
1: That's a relationship. That's a great piece of advice, Brad. One of the things that I recall someone we all know very well, Roy, um, once told us, told me very clearly was the use of the word we is a very, very, very powerful tool, when, especially to a young person in the industry. You're speaking on behalf of the firm. You're speaking on behalf of your team. You're speaking on behalf of the group and saying, we believe this is the truth or we experience this. And that changes the dynamic because you're part of that team, you're part of that that knowledge base. You may not have it firsthand, but boy, by saying we experienced this, that that can be very, very empowering to to a young person and, and inclus- inclusive of them learning and, and being able to show off their knowledge.
0: Yeah, I think that can add to like the confidence of, you know, someone just starting off, you know, not really having like the experience, but then like you're saying, using the we of, you know, I have people behind me, like I'm not alone on my own island. I'm uh, around people who want to help. Like, I think that's, that's huge, uh, especially like not even just on the sales side of it, but also just kind of the getting experience and developing, you know, yourself as a, a young producer. And now let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. Gregory and Appel helps organizations and people grow through tailored risk management strategies. They're here to help you in your adventure, both in the office and in life want to take your career to new heights, head to com slash careers for more information. And now let's get back to the episode. So Brad, can you kind of talk about like the transition from, you know, working for like a publicly traded retailer to the independent agency kind of feel? Uh, what's kind of the pitch to to It's like different or have you noticed like any change in like the resources that you, you have market access or, or other types of resources?
3: Yeah, I think I've, I went from a privately held broker to a publicly held broker back to a privately held broker so I've kind of been through the transition but you know at the end of the day publicly held brokers have quarterly earnings calls and those are the bell to which they answer and I'm not saying that you know it's a it's a bad system it's just different when when you're an independently owned privately held broker you don't have those quarterly earnings call pressures uh, you can make decisions that are based on the the, the needs of your client. And our leadership team here has been incredibly uh, open and willing to do that when the need arises. So, you know, there are things that we'll do that that you couldn't get past a publicly held broker just because financially it doesn't meet whatever metrics they're using for, for their definition of success. I think that's that's certainly the biggest thing.
0: That makes sense. Also, back to what we were talking about earlier, like the set of stories and, you know, mentors taking interest in you. But I mean, also kind of talked about Learning the behind the scenes of the products, how like claims work, and just being able to talk through a lot of different circumstances with the insured. I kind of think there's a few different ways to to gain that experience. Either you go to the retailer side and get that hands on training, and hope that your firm's wants to invest in you and, and develop you. Or you know, I think you guys ended up you know going to the carrier side first before you went to like the the retailer side, so you kind of had that that background uh, understanding of of what the underwriters are doing and how carriers are profitable or how they actually like get in an underwrite. Like, can you kind of talk about that?
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, Tyson and I both came from, from the carrier side. Uh, I spent some time at Chubb and he spent some time at Travelers. Um, and then (laughs) Andrew Appel called us up and we came over to the, uh, Either the light side or the dark side—I don't know which perspective we're <laughs> at—but uh, I would say that um, having an underwriting background and then coming over to the pr- a production role, if used appropriately and correctly, <laughs> can be invaluable. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, or particularly early on in our transition, and, and Tyson, I don't want to speak for you, but. Uh, sometimes I had to remember to put my underwriting shoes uh away in the closet and put on my uh my production shoes, if that makes sense. Um, because it again is is in a uh, an experience in a job where you'll learn insurance, you'll learn you know how the sausage is made behind the counter. But not all of that is is always valuable to a client when they're being observed, right? Sometimes it can be a little overkill. And And ultimately, our job is to take all of that, uh, you know, insurance magic and then boil it down into a small crystal nugget of this is what you (laughs) need to know. Um, You don't need all of this background noise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Reed, that's absolutely true. The do's and don'ts of underwriting at a desk are filled with, uh, you know, boy, they should do this, they should do that, this is the correct way to do this, this is the correct way to do that. And it's all uh, hyperbole and expectation from a carrier that, that may not be living in the real world. And so to be able to take all of the the, the should be's and the uh, this is the way it is done to understanding in, in the real world that client or that, uh, that company you're working with is trying to just keep the lights on sometimes is trying to uh, make a profit. And while that's nice, that the carrier thinks that we should do it that way, it, it, it's irrelevant. And I think you know you can get caught up from the carrier side getting into that. But I think, you know, Reed, one of the things that, that I thought was uh, really helpful as I made the transition was, I also knew how how the underwriters work and how they think. And being able, you mentioned distilling it from the carrier and all that insurance information down to give it to the client, in the reverse is very true too. I know what I need to ask the client so that I can present it to the underwriters so that they understand truly what's going on with my client. And I think that is a huge advantage because I know what the underwriters are thinking and I know what questions they're looking at and I know what scares them. I know what they're, what pressures they're getting from above to, to, uh, from an underwriting referral standpoint and and navigating that and giving them that kind of time and knowing how that process works. Um, if you've never been on the carrier side, you send in your, all that information and you, you think, oh, they're just going to give me a quote. <clears throat> it's a much more complex process that you need to be able to understand. And you know that that takes time and there's vacations and there's you know referral underwriting officers who have a particular way of looking at things. So you, you, you truly do understand how that desk underwriter has to live their life um, managing through their workflow. And I think that's helpful. Maybe not you know, to the client in, in, a, in an interface standpoint, but it's helpful as you're trying to manage getting through all of that stuff and so i think that's been something that i've tried to use on to my advantage is just knowing what the carrier wants to hear and, and what they need to hear
2: i think that that becomes even more important in a hard market cycle. Mm-hmm. so you know hopefully the listeners all understand the soft and hard market cycles of insurance uh, but you know in a hard market Underwriting restrictions increase, underwriting uh, discipline increases, prices go up, retentions go up, capacity shrinks, terms and conditions tighten. And so our job is not just like, hey, can you sell more insurance policies, but it's actually taking the the exposures and controls of our clients and selling those to an underwriter for the best possible terms and conditions and return on investment premium dollars. And and that is as much a sale as anything, mm-hmm. um, particularly in a hard market.
1: And also knowing when and where to push and when and where not to push uh, when you're talking to that underwriter. And you know you you'll uncover and you'll sense that 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 they they have no more flexibility. There's nothing more that they have that they can they can provide. And that's a, you know you don't want to waste your energy and time going after that if if they can't. And that's something that I think having been on the side of the carrier, you start to understand that some of those underwriters are really um, put in a box and cannot. That is as far as they can go and they've given you everything that they can. And that's a tough place for them to be in because they want to renew the account. They want to win the day, but there's nothing left for them to to do. And that that can get very, very frustrating for them and and to at least understand where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, a couple of things to elaborate upon is we talked about you know, a change of speed coming from like the carrier side, going to the retailer side. Like, I think that was an adaption you guys talked about. Kind of like you're not really underwriting the account, you're just kind of gathering all the information, and that's someone else's job to take, take the risk on it. So, I think adapting to that. And then also, like, the insight that you, you've gained from like the carrier side, knowing how they work and how to make like the best submission possible, and even like getting information that they haven't asked for yet, but you would know they probably want this loss run or they'd want, you know, a risk management report on how they're doing this just to make it like a quicker process for the underwriter. Because like you said, you know, in the hard market, it's a game of balancing time and opportunity. They don't have a chance to underwrite every account. So making sure that you're presenting your client in the the best way possible, that that underwriter is going to want to look at the submission and going to turn it around quickly to get coverage
2: yeah I mean we're not underwriting the account anymore um and certainly you know we're not taking the risk ourselves, but I think so much of the job of an insurance broker has has really become the job of a risk management consultant, and so um, insurance may just be the way we get paid if that makes sense, and um it's about helping a client think through you know, you know, recognizing what the risks and exposures are. Um, what are the hazards? Mm-hmm. You know, are you avoiding them? Are you mitigating them? Are you accepting them? Are you transferring them? You know, you know, what are the contractual and regulatory implications, you know, that come down through your industry? Um, you know, and, you know, and how are you anticipating emerging risks and putting programs in place to, you um, enable, again, your strategic and operational growth despite those, those risks. Um, and so there's still a high degree of analysis that goes into what we do on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge, you know, being the, the boots on the ground. And, you know, like you said, you are selling insurance, uh, getting like, the commission on that, but then you're, you're doing more than, more than just that. You're doing like the, the risk management and consulting and how does that, you know, advising of, of like a year long process, you have multiple occasions to uh, you know, talk to the insured about these coverage gaps or you know, if you're expecting a big rate increase, how are they gonna budget for this? How does that value add uh, help differentiate yourself from from other uh producers?
3: Yeah, I think the more often you communicate with clients, the better, right? Obviously that's the I think that's the most important thing. In terms of, you know, Reid kept saying being of service, being of service, being of service, and and that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to be of service. So you don't want to get bad news at the last minute, and you don't want one option at the last minute. What you want are multiple options, if if at all possible, right? Um, if there's going to be bad news, tell me how to lessen the bad news. So communicating with a client is not a two weeks before their renewal date. It, it is a absolutely a constant thing. And I think as you develop those relationships with your clients, they're calling you, you know, you talked, Darren, you talked a little bit about being on that team of advisors. You know, when when something is going on, they're going to call all of their team of advisors and run it past them. And it's going to give you yet another opportunity in the year to, to talk to that client about whatever it is that's going on. And we do a lot of even smaller communications. Hey, can you just take a look at this contract? You know, we don't practice law. We don't profess to practice law. But that's one of the things that we do is that we look at that contract as it relates to their insurance program. Do we have the appropriate coverages in place? Do we have the appropriate limits? Is there anything outside of the insurance provisions in a contract that, that may bite us down the road? So it's that constant um, involvement with the client throughout the year that really it doesn't necessarily eliminate the bad news or the, or the tough conversations but man they they know that you've done everything that you can during the year to to mitigate those situations and give them as much runway to to react as possible
0: so being the boots on the ground you're the the people that are actually talking to the insured in office, advising them, but then you also have you know other resources that you're you're using you can all. Uh, Use a wholesale broker when uh, your standard market underwriters are declining this submission based on loss history or limits capacity, just wh- whatever they don't really like in their appetite. how do you uh, recommend figuring out the rest of of the market to someone who's just starting off and and how to uh you know really like craft that story of your insured so like these these other resources that aren't necessarily you know in your company really understand like what your client is doing
1: Sure. Sure, I think that was one of the, the the larger learning curves for me coming from the carrier side was getting used to the need for and the the knowledge of what what wholesalers were out there and what relationships you really need to develop in that space. Um, there are times when you know a standard market carrier can handle everything, uh, main street business, manufacturing things that are very don't want to say easy but but certainly things that are m- much more mainstream and not everybody's doing mainstream stuff and so you do run into things where you're looking for access to markets that you simply don't have and you know we're fortunate gregory and Powell, to have a very very broad direct relationship and kind of carrier carrier relationships and in most cases we do have the ability to do that but you know we do run into a lot of clients that don't have that 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 don't fit and so I think as you if you are starting out in this business I think getting to know and getting to develop a good relationship with two or three wholesalers who can can really deliver you know I've had some some folks who thought were doing a great job and all of a sudden drop the ball and cost me the business and so you're really relying on them to deliver something uh, to you that will you can deliver to the client and uh, so a good partnership and good good relationship is is imperative And finding a wholesaler who has access to to it a really wide variety of markets and um is important so you know brad and i are actually working really really closely with a wholesaler right now trying to get a couple of things done and and he's working his tail off to get it done for us and that's that's a that's a good feeling because you do feel like they're they're really they're they're trying to get you the right answer so yeah having someone with a broad broad appetite and someone who's going to work hard i think uh, those are two things that i would really look for
3: i i would add to that darren that the right wholesaler can actually add depth to your bench. I use a I've got a relationship with a broker out in California, wholesale broker who's a, an attorney by training and education. He does 90% of my management liability um, because he's an attorney and he can speak to the contract and speak to uh, the suits that we invariably get in as an attorney. And I, I find that incredibly valuable. I don't have a law background. So having that extra depth of knowledge is a huge benefit. So I think there are a lot of things to think about when you're, when you're pairing up and partnering up with a, with a broker. But you know, that's the neat thing about the industry, right? There are so many ways to go. I mean, I, I know people who started working for Lloyd's, you know, early in their career or did a stint when they were in college and, and, you know, worked at Lloyd's for a summer or something like that. So the industry is, is so diverse and so vast that there are just lots of, um, you know, lots of opportunities out there for people coming into the industry. And I, I think generally speaking, the industry is probably aging too and, and offers lots of opportunities for, for someone who's kind of willing to learn the trade, so to speak.
0: So how did you kind of figure out how close you wanted to be to the insured?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, all three of us actually started out as underwriters. And you know, while that has definite benefits, for me, the exciting thing is to be involved in my clients' businesses, you know, and watch them have these incredible successes and grow their businesses. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes the failures come as well. I think it's incredibly uh, exhilarating being a part of of their uh, team of advisors and being that close to the business. So that's kind of
1: where I was drawn from just me personally, from my background. Travelers was was very adamant that the middle market account executives. Try to move into that trusted advisor role and visit with clients with with the producer with the agent who was responsible for that client. And you know it, the the agents don't always like that. Um, and the ones in which I was permitted and allowed to to partner, I found it to be exhilarating to be part of that team, to be part of the environment of success, you know, with the client. And and I think. That was one of the big draws for me to move from the carrier side to the agency side was but it's it's a lot of fun being there in the room at the time those decisions are made and, and you know on the carrier side, you can put your best number out there and you can do everything right and you can put it all on the table and at the end of the day, that decision isn't yours ultimately it's the agent and the insurer's decision to make it either move to your quote move away from your quote you can you can be involved but but boy, being in the room when that decision is made, and being part of that process of selling it is is exhilarating as well. But those relationships that you have with your your clients, as Brad said, those are those are so meaningful. They're, they're just they become they become more than just business relationships to become friendships, and that is that I wouldn't trade that for anything. There's some, there's some folks whom I represent whom I just absolutely just want to spend more time with. Um, just because they're just good people and good friends. And, and I think that that's a really, really valuable part of being on on the retail side of things.
0: So on the agency side, it's obviously more, you know, sales orientated. Can you kind of take me back a little bit to your first few like sales calls going to the insurance office and playing it out? And what was kind of like the prep like before some mock sales pitches to people in house? Or how did you kind of get stress tested for that?
3: I'm going to date myself a little bit by saying my, my, basically, I got a, I got a phone book and a phone and, and pretty much a slap on the back and said, okay, kid, go get them kind of, kind of thing. But, you know, in terms of prep, that that's not true. That was very much in jest. You no, know, the biggest thing for me and the thing that I, I tell new producers who come here is that, you know, I, and I, I think I could probably speak for Tyson too, but mentoring a new producer is really fun. And, I will say to new producers, hey, look, if you want some gray hair in the room on this meeting, take me with you. You know, I'm happy to sit in the room, we'll bounce things off each other, we'll we'll kind of ham an egg in front of the client to to get kind of the information that we're looking for or to push the direction uh, of the conversation, you know, forward, but certainly mentoring, finding a mentor within the organization, you know, that's just good advice generally, right? But um, we're definitely an organization that that offers that and i think uh, you walk at anybody's door in this place and they're going to say yeah absolutely i've got time to help you that's the first biggest thing I think.
0: yeah well we definitely covered a, a lot of ground here something that stuck out to me is the importance of service we really touched on that a lot in being a member of of that advising team and really representing the the insured's best interest some piece of advice to, to the newer producers starting out be a student of your craft and really understand your client, what kind of buyer they are, and what coverage they, they want or applies to their business. But we also just talked about, as you said, finding a mentor. And you guys mentioned, you know, learning that set of stories of, of what can happen. So when you, you know, use those to talk to, to clients, and really explain the exposures of, of their industry. Well, thank you for joining us. Reed, Tyson, and Brad. You're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. It was
1: great. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was, it was an enjoyable conversation.
0: We will announce new episodes through our Instagram, GIS Butler, Butler's Game Iota Sigma LinkedIn page, and through the National Alliance website, and on Spotify. Stay tuned for more content.